Hey there, my name is Roy and I'm the lead pastor here at Arthur Pentecostal. We're so glad this morning that you've joined with us as we, as we read into God's word and we worship together. The, today we're continuing our series called Be Blessed, where we've looked at the blessings of God, where we, we looked at the things and where, where God wants to bless us. How many of you would love to have your homes and your families be blessed? Raise your hands. I know you're at home. I know this is online. Maybe it's weird, but raise your hands. Some of you still, I can see you. Some of you still aren't raising your hands up. So I guess it's safe to say that you want your families or your homes to be cursed. Of course, of course not. Of course not. We would all love to see our homes and our families be blessed. But when you look at the family structure as it is today, when you look around at other families, one of the words that doesn't really jump out at you is, is blessed. That family is incredibly blessed. Or, or if we do, it's for false reasons, where we see that they have a bunch of money or they see the car they drive or the home. Oh, wow, they are blessed. But when I look around at other families, some of the words that come out is, wow, that, that family is they're struggling. That, that marriage is hanging by a thread. Those people are really having a hard time with their, their kids or financially, you know, I, I believe they're living paycheck to paycheck. Maybe they're not, they're not blessed. And sometimes there's, the, there's other challenges. Like there's challenges more and more today. We're seeing blended families, which sometimes that is a blessing. But sometimes or more often than not, it's complicated. We see a record number of single parents today, which can be so difficult when you're trying to support a family and some kids on one income. And you're also the one who's carrying the entire load of the family and disciplining kids and raising them up all on your own. It can be overwhelming at times. And so today what we're going to do is we're going to look at the teaching of Jesus from Matthew chapter 5, what we would call the Beatitudes. And in the Beatitudes... It's going to help us, guide us in what it looks like to have or to create a blessed home. And maybe some of you are watching today and you're thinking, well, but I, Pastor Ray, I'm a student. I, I, I don't even have a family yet. Uh, can I say this to you? This is the best time for you to learn these principles. I would have given anything when I was younger to be able to learn stuff like this years ago. So I believe this will speak to everyone. The principles will be the same. You know, it's funny because there's a thought among some people that pastors have the perfect families, that they have a blessed home, that they have perfect marriages and they're raising perfect kids. But can we squash that right now? Can, can, we, can we just can we agree that pastors are, are they're on the same journey as everyone else? They're no different than anybody else. We're all striving to be better spouses. We're all striving to be better parents. And we all have really bad days, sometimes embarrassingly bad days. We all have arguments. Uh, we all make these parenting mistakes that sometimes we have to sort of swallow our pride a little bit and apologize to our kids for. And trust me, I was making these mistakes way before I became a pastor. I remember one day I was an educational assistant back in Oshawa and my daughter Janelle was a student at the school I was working at. She was in kindergarten at the time. And so one day I went to the staff room. It was a cold day, winter day, something like minus 20 degrees. Went to the staff room and I dropped off some of my stuff and I'm walking down the hallway and the kids are all out in the hallway and they're, and they're changing out of their, their hats and their mitts and their, their snow suits. They're changing out of their boots into their indoor shoes. 
And I see, it just, it's just so striking. I see this one kid, and they have no socks on. They're changing out their boots into their indoor shoes, into wearing indoor shoes with no socks. And I'm thinking in my head, what kind of parent would allow their kid on a day where it's like minus 20, it's freezing out there, to go to school with no socks on? Well, I'm sure you've guessed by now. But when I looked up to see what kid it was, it was my kid. Let's be real for a moment. We should all try to be more like the example that Jesus set for us, but it's a process. Social media just falsely reinforces that we're all living these charmed lives. We only see, we see the, the highlight reels of people. We don't see the behind the scenes. I mean, if you look at my Facebook and then you look at my wife's Facebook, what you'll see more often than not is a family that just is happy, that we all get along really well. Everything just seems to be going so incredibly well. And for the most part, a lot of that is true, but these are the moments that we like to capture. These are the moments that a year from now I want to see it come up in our memories because these are the moments that we love. We just don't tend to take pictures of the moments where one of us gets into a fight. Jen and I might get into a fight over something kind of trivial, actually kind of embarrassing trivial. And we don't capture the pictures where I get stubborn and I don't want to admit that I'm wrong or, or Jen won't talk to me for a certain period of time. And these things happen once in a while and, and you feel kind of foolish in the moment. You don't want to post a social media post about that. And your kids see you fighting sometimes. Can you imagine the pictures uh, if we were to post like me just like, like just stubborn and, 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 and sulking? Those things happen. See, you think it only happens in your home, but this happens everywhere. We're all a work in progress. And so today, let's look at Matthew chapter 5, verse 6. This is the section from the New Testament, like I said before, we call the Beatitudes. It says this, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. God blesses those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. See, when you hunger and thirst for righteousness, you will be filled. And yet so many of our homes are not being filled with the things that matter most, because we are searching for anything that will bring meaning. Why is that? Because we are filling our lives with things that don't matter. And we're not blessed because we're not hungering and thirsting for righteousness, for right living, for doing the right thing, the things that please God by faith. This is why we put our, our youth, well, we put youth sports over church at times. Because I believe that parents that are doing, doing that, where they choose that, are, they believe the sports is going to be meaningful, or maybe church, they, they, don't, they don't see it that way. Now, I'm not coming down on sports because I don't know if I don't think anybody loves sports more than I do. I, I love, actually, one of my, some of my most cherished moments is watching my kids playing sports. I think Jen and I have traveled all across this province watching Mason play different, different sports. And I've even coached at certain times, too. And I would never give up those memories for anything. They're, they were so foundational in making him and, and Janelle, to an extent, who they are. But they need to be put in the place that they belong. I used to watch families that you wouldn't see them for months. 
And you might bump into them in the streets and you say, hey, we've missed you at church. Like, where have you been? And they say, oh, my daughter, she's in, in travel soccer. And so we'll be there. We'll be back in church on a Sunday when uh, the season's over. Except the season would end for months. You still wouldn't see them because they had allowed church and ultimately their faith to no longer be a priority. And in that moment, they've communicated to their children that sports trumps everything else even Jesus. And it's not just sports, it's anything else that, that we put above God. And I believe that, that there's good intentions, but they were falsely trying to provide something meaningful for their kids, but they missed the mark when they put their relationship with God as the backup plan. So here's the question I want to ask you, and, and I want you to dare to be really, really honest with me today. In your home, what are you hungering for? In your life, in your dorm room, with your friends, what is it that you're pursuing? What matters the most to you? For some of you with integrity, you could say, we are here and our purpose is to please God. And some of you would say the same thing, it's just it might be your Sunday school answer. We're here to please God. But if I ask your kids, they might tell me something entirely different from what they watch. See, let me make this easier. In the last seven days, just the last seven days, what would it, if someone who was watching your life, what would they say it characterized what you were pursuing? What were you hungering for? Were you hungering for comfort? Was it that you were hungering to be more popular, to increase your, your own brand on social media? Were you thirsting for, for, for first, thirsting just to have a good time? Were you hungry for more power, more money? And if you're, like most of our culture today, if you're really, really honest, you'd say in the last seven days, you were pursuing things that were maybe above God. We, we, we need to be hungering and thirsting for righteousness. So what do we do when we realize that we were hungering for the wrong things? We were thirsting for the wrong things. What do we do realize when we, we realize that we have an appetite for things that don't satisfy and things that are not best for us. Well, we need to change our appetite. For example, how many of you love pizza? I love pizza. I love all kinds of pizza. You would think that after being a youth pastor for 10 years, I'd be so sick of pizza because in youth ministry, pizza is kind of a currency. I love pizza, though. And I remember, I remember one time we went to Chicago and we, we stayed at this really famous deep dish pizza place. Oh, so good. I remember we were in New York one time. We actually had New York-style pizza in New York, right downtown Manhattan. And I love pizza. I just love pizza of all kinds. Unless there's pineapple on it. Do not put fruit on my pizza. I mean, if you like pineapple on your pizza, you need to just pause right now. You need to pray for forgiveness. Anyway, so for the past few months... I've been trying to cut out carbs, most carbs and sugar out of my diet, and which means no more pizza. And so I've, I've made a couple of times, I've, just to get that pizza taste, I've made almond flour pizza, which resembles pizza and kind of gives it the taste a little bit, but it's, it's not the same. But as a result, I actually lost a little bit of weight and I felt more energetic, I had more energy. So this week I took a break, a little break from my diet that I've been on for like the last few months, and we, we ordered pizza. And so this is about the first time, probably since like September. And I was like, ah, oh, pizza, give it to me. So partway through, I started eating. And I was like, 
oh, I kind of feel heavy. I kind of feel gross. And it was still the same pizza, but something had changed. Something was different. It was like my appetite had changed. I realized some of the things I craved before had significantly changed. I've fed on stuff lately that's been better for me, and I stopped craving some of the junk food that wasn't good for me, and my appetite has significantly changed. I've been, I've been, I've felt fuller sooner. Here's the thing: if you start pursuing God and you start seeking God, suddenly you're going to have the benefits of walking and being led by the Spirit of God, empowered by His presence. If you change your appetite. Suddenly you long for him and less of the junk food of the world that you've consumed before, which distracted you, which you know was no good for you and didn't satisfy you. And your cravings changed as you developed a different type of appetite for the righteousness of God. When you're hungering and you're, and you're, you're thirsting for the righteousness of God, you're fulfilled and you're satisfied. And you know that you're, in, you're doing the will of God. It changes things. Now, why doesn't this happen more in our homes? Why don't we see more homes that are, that are characterized as being blessed? Well, let me tell you what works and what doesn't work when it comes to building a home that is centered around Jesus. And we'll start with what does not work. There's a couple things that do not work. Number one, the first thing is legalistic Christianity does not work. Legalistic Christianity does not work. The second thing is lukewarm Christianity also does not work. Legalistic Christianity and lukewarm Christianity never work. Let me give you some examples. What is legalistic Christianity? Well, that's when we reduce Christianity to in our homes to just a bunch of do's and don'ts, a bunch of rules, a bunch of you shouldn't do this or you should do this. And if you're a good Christian, then, then you will always get it right. That type of thing where we lord those over our kids and, the, and our families. The problem is rules without relationship will always cause rebellion. Rules without relationship, it always leads to rebellion. Ever seen that? Have you ever noticed at times pastors' kids can be the wild ones? Like, I, I would hope that my kids are not, not that, but I've seen lots of examples where pastors' kids are the wild ones. Who's ever noticed that? Why, why is that? A lot of times it's because the rules that are set in place is that they are asked to perform. Let, let's put our best image before the church because we are supposed to be the examples to everyone. See, Jen and I made a decision really early. I, I became a pastor when my kids were eight and six. They were not, they did not, were not born into being pastor's kids. They kind of like moved into it. And we made this decision that we were not going to put any extra pressure on our kids to perform. We're going to allow them to be who they are and be, and not be something they're not. Well, we, but we had the same expectations before we came, became pastors. It, it didn't, nothing changed. We, we wanted them to be followers of Jesus and, but to be who they were. It, it's, if it's only rules without relationship, that's going to lead to rebellion. Legalistic Christianity never works. The second thing is this that doesn't work. Lukewarm Christianity. What is that? Well, that's when we live like we say we believe in God, but we live like he actually doesn't exist. It's like a cultural Christianity. And it's Christian by name only. There's no real passion or anything that brings glory to God. So how do you know if you're, you're part of a lukewarm Christian home? Well, the answer is, and I can't judge that for you. I, I, I don't know. 
But I'll tell you, here's some of the indicators that maybe your home is a lukewarm Christian home. When prayer doesn't matter, when, when you have a situation that you're dealing with and prayer doesn't even come on the radar, it's not a factor. When prayer doesn't matter, you might be lukewarm. If the only time that I speak about God is on a Sunday, and I never consider what God wants for me or my family's life the rest of the week, we're probably lukewarm. When we don't consider some of the things that or the influences that may be harmful, whether that be media, whether it be toxic friendships, if we don't consider what God wants for us or where our influences come from, then you possibly are lukewarm. When we don't stop and appreciate, have gratitude in the areas that God has blessed us and consider how do we, how do we give back? How, how do we give the, take the blessings and multiply them and give back to others, either financially, with our time, with our talent? We could be heading towards being a lukewarm Christian. Jesus said in, in Revelation chapter 3, and we're going to look at this in a future series soon about the churches of Revelation, but he says to the church of Laodicea, that I'd rather that you're hot or you're cold. Because you, when you are lukewarm, he says, I spit you out of my mouth. You know, being a lukewarm or a, a fence sitter doesn't work. So what does work? What does work when you decide that your family is not just once, you just don't want your family to be Christian by label? You, or you don't want to just be known as a Christian couple or just as a, as a single, you don't want to be just known as a Christian by label, but you want to be known as a home that is Christ-centered. And there's a big difference between the two. And what if you want to be, what if you want to be a Christ-centered home, not just a Christian? To call yourself a Christian family, that doesn't hold a lot of weight in these times. There's many people who have they've never stepped foot inside a church, maybe outside of a, a wedding or a funeral. And if you ask them to identify themselves, like, what religion are you? And many of them will say, well, I, I, I think I'm Christian. My parents are Christian, so I guess I'm Christian. Or my grandparents are Christian, so I'm Christian, because I'm not one of the other religions, so I'm Christian. But it would be hard if you looked into their lives to describe their home as Christ-centered. There's a big difference. A Christ-centered home doesn't just go to church. Jesus, is, Jesus isn't just a part of their lives where they pull them out on a Sunday and they put them back on the shelf on Monday. A Christ-centered home filters everything through this lens of what would be God-pleasing. Scripture doesn't say, blessed are those who believe in Christ when it's convenient for them. It says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. See, if we don't, we need to change our, our appetites. Listen to how David in his psalm communicates this. In Psalm 63, 1, he says, You, God, are my God. Earnestly I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you in a dry and parched land where there is no water. So you can't, you can't help but notice the language that he uses here. This isn't a, hey, God, can you just uh, be like a genie and come out whenever I need a wish uh, and whenever I call on you. This isn't a God of convenience. This is language of someone not known as a Christian by name, but someone who has decided to wholeheartedly put their lives centered around Jesus. That their home would be characterized by that. See, a family that hungers and thirsts for righteousness, righteousness how do we do that? Well, first of all, parents, 
Create an environment in your home where conversations about God are encouraged, but not required. Don't make it a task. Instead, allow room to discuss when your kids have doubts, or, or even as a couple, when you have doubts. Allow your kids to have the discussion about their struggles, or about their faith, or, or things in the Bible that they're not sure where that lines up. And don't make it a big thing. Make it a part of your everyday. Allow room to talk about the role that God plays in everyday life and how he impacts even the mundane things. Create an environment that your kids want to talk about God, not feel like they have to talk about God. Create an environment where those in your family see prayer as option A when there's uncertainty or there's concern. Decide now that we are going to be in a Christ-centered home in everything that we do. What if you hear that and you think, well, I liked our, our home to be Christ-centered, but I'm not even sure where to start. Well, let me give you three simple ways. Number one, involve God in your daily discussions. I mean, this might feel weird at first, but even, even when you're, you're driving, when you're with your kids, and you just see incredible sunset. You know, every one of us knows there's, there's that God's behind the creativity in that. Just talk about that. Talk about how... how some of the decisions that you've made that God has been, been part of and where those have led, even involve your kids in that. Instead of just fretting and wondering what to do when something pops up as a couple, instead of just writing down a pros and cons list, choose to seek God. Choose to, choose to search scripture for the answer to what God would have you do in that situation. Continually act as if you are a God-centered home and not just a home that labels yourself as a Christian family. See, it's got to be in your language, but more than that, it's got to be in your actions. See, when I was a youth pastor, I could tell you almost with absolute certainty which homes were authentically Christ-centered and which ones were performing on a Sunday. Because it was mirrored in the way in which their kids put their trust in God the rest of the week. You know, be an authentic Christ-centered home. Be sure to acknowledge the blessings that you have and show gratitude in front of your kids in your prayer life as a couple. Continually give thanks to God for the things he's done in your life. Second, if you want to hunger and thirst for for righteousness, is make church a priority. If you're a Christ-centered home, guess what you do? You make the priority of worship of God something that's somewhat non-negotiable. To take an hour to give praise back to the creator of the universe who sent his son Jesus for us to hear the proclamation of the word because that's where our faith is built. You say to your family, we're going to church. This is what we do. We do church every week. It's, It's especially during the developing years. Especially during those first years, at some point, the the prayer is is that you have created an authentic, Christ-centered home. And that their choice when they become teens will be to follow after Jesus themselves. Then this is the hardest part. Then you have to trust that what you've done, the environment you've created, have allowed them to be set up that God would do his part and capture their heart. 
even if it means the tough season where they're seeking and asking questions. The third is to make sure that seeking after God is fun. I mean, there's no doubt that faith is a serious subject, and, it, and you know, it, it, there's reverence that, that comes along with that. But faith in God is also life-giving, and it brings joy. So don't make family prayer time a chore. Have fun with it. I was, I was reading this story the other day of this, uh, this, this one family where they do popcorn prayers. And so they get the family together, and they and some of you know what popcorn prayers are. You say this short prayer, maybe it's one sentence, and it's, just, it's kind of bang, 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 like a rapid fire sort of thing. But what they do is they actually take popcorn prayers to the next level, is that every time you pray, you then the rule is that you now have to eat popcorn. And, and so they, they, they pray, and they, they make it sort of a fun thing, but it's something that their, their kids will remember. In a Christ-centered home, church or faith uh, it's not a thing you must do. It's a thing that matters. It's, it's evident in everything you do. And actually, it's not even a thing at all. It's intertwined in everything. And it shouldn't feel like a chore or it should feel like a thing. If you want a child to do something, then tell them it's something they have to do. And if you want them to embrace it as a lifestyle, show them that it's valuable and model it for them, all the while enjoying the process. And like I said before, be authentic. You're going to make mistakes. Admit to your mistakes. Don't have so much pride that you won't even admit to your spouse or admit to your child that you, you messed up, you blew it, that, that God's in the forgiveness business. He will forgive. Choose to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, then everything else will be added to you. See, that's the pattern. Seek authentically. Have fun doing it. And watch as God blesses what you do. Let me say this. Let me speak to the men for a moment before we close. Men, get up and lead. Like if you want a Christ-centered culture in your home, you're going to have to lead into it. You're not sure where to start? Talk about your blessings. Serve where you can. Make church a priority. You can do this. Lead your family. Involve God in your conversations. Don't make it just a Sunday thing that you'll revisit every Sunday. Joshua said this in Joshua 24, 15. Joshua says, choose this day who you will serve. For me, as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. That's it right there. No matter who you are, you choose today. You choose this day. You choose that your household isn't just going to hold the title of Christian family, but you are going to be Christ-centered. You're not going to blend with the rest of culture. You're going to hunger authentically and thirst for righteousness. And when you do, you will be filled. So choose this day. Choose to shed the label of Christian family. Choose to be centered in Christ in everything. And when you do, blessed will be your home. Let's pray. God, our homes are our homes are our sanctuaries. They're filled with the people that we loved, and yet so many of us settle for something less than having a, a home, a, a marriage, a relationship with our kids that's anything but blessed. And God, perhaps it's because we've put some things ahead of 
seeking your righteousness. Perhaps in we, we were well-meaning, but we've prioritized things over your word, over what you would want for us. And so, God, I pray that you would, you would give us the, the courage, that you would give us the strength, you would give us the wisdom to be able to lead, to be able to, to change the culture of our homes, that we would no longer be known as just the Christian family who goes to church, but we would be known as a, a family that everything that they do is filtered through what will bring you glory, what you would want for us. That, that church would just be the celebration of everything that was done the rest of the week, not the Christian part of our, our week. And so as we do, may you bless our homes. May you bless our marriages. May you bless the relationship that we have with our kids and with each other. And when we struggle, God, let prayer be the answer. Let your word speak to us. And may we seek after you and thirst and hunger for your righteousness. We ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen.